Good evening. It's great to see you. Just a couple of things before we start. If you've got a Bible with you, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3 in a moment. If you haven't, don't worry, it'll be on the screen. Just a, just a couple of small things. It's Montpellier, not Montpellier. Uh, never heard of that place. Um, <laughs> and uh, also just a couple of stuff. As you came in, you got given the new uh, newspaper magazine thing. Uh, all the courses and communities are kicking off uh, kind of real soon at, after our week of prayer in the beginning of October. All the courses kick off. We're going to be talking about some of the different courses that are options uh, over these next couple of weeks. I just wanted to point out one called Freed for Purpose. I know some of you in this room have done it. Um, Freed for Purpose, we last week were looking at how we have been saved We've been blessed in order to be a blessing. God has rescued us and redeemed us and set us apart for a great big purpose. And so often the stuff that holds us back and hinders us is not fully understanding uh, the, the freedom that we now have in Jesus, not truly understanding the depths and the lengths to which the gospel has gone to utterly transform us and change us. And most of us, because we've got a history, right? Like most of us have done stuff that we think, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or have had stuff done to us which shouldn't have happened, or been through mess and life and difficulty and bumps. Whether they're big things or small things, we're shaped by our pasts. And the truth is that now we're in Christ, we're shaped by the gospel and by the gospel alone, and yet so much of our lives, actually, there's other things that are shaping them. And Free for Purpose is an opportunity just to take some time out, it runs for eight weeks on a Wednesday, just looking at the reality of the truth of what God has done for you and how he has changed you and is changing you and what it now means to live free for purpose. And so I just want to kind of say that to you, like people kind of have this idea of things like free for purpose. Well, that's just like for all the nut jobs and the fruitcakes and the weirdos. And I don't want to be associated with that. I want to just say you are one of the nut jobs and the fruitcakes and the weirdos because you have a life and a history and, and mess in you. Like, let's be honest. Like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even joking in that. Let, let's be honest. If, if right now on this screen behind me started playing all the stuff that we think and all the stuff that we've done, and all the stuff that we've been in, like, man, every single one of us is freaking out and running out the door, right? Because none of us, not one, has done anything. <laughs> like, some of you are smiling at me because you know. Some of you are looking like, nah, I'll be all right with that. Okay, play the tape. Let's do it. No, it's not, it does not go well for us. And yet Jesus has come. And honestly, if any of the stuff I'm about to say tonight you struggle with, as in, not like, I'm not interested whether you agree with me or not. I'm going from the Bible. You can look at it yourself, right? Is, uh, you struggle to fully accept that really is me, or I really can have that, or what he's taught. Free for purposes for you. Like, literally, honestly, it's for you. Blokes especially, because we all like, you know, we think, yeah, I'm sorted. I've got it all sorted. No, you haven't. No, we're not. Like, women are far more honest than men, let's be honest. Like, in terms of, they, they kind of accept and know that the stuff... Some guy's looking at me right now. What are you, what you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. This is going to be a long evening. <laughs> Free for purpose. You should sign up for it, honestly. Um, there's only limited spaces, so you can ch sign up on our website, newcom.church forward slash communities, or via church suite if you've got it. I think there's like 20-something spaces. So uh, you have permission to sign up right now if you want to. Um, and then by the time I get to Mark chapter 3, put your phone away. Okay. 
So we're carrying on this uh, series, this mini-series for the next just couple of weeks. And in a few weeks' time, we're going to be starting a new series in Mark's Gospel. And we're going to go and look in Mark's Gospel all the way up till Christmas. I'm really looking forward to, to, to it. But tonight, just finishing off kind of what I started last week. And if you weren't here last week, you kind of need to listen to it. Um, uh, just to kind of get a sense of where, where we've come from to understand where we're now moving into. Because you and I have been, as I just said, rescued set free for a purpose. We've been blessed by God, not so that we can just sit here and go, hey, my life is very good. Thank you. I am blessed. No, in order that many others might come to know Jesus as well. All right. And, and let's just be really honest for a moment. Like our church now like is in lots and lots and lots of hundreds of people in lots of different places. Okay. There are like in the three boroughs where most of our people live, 880,000 people. <laughs> and the vast majority don't know Jesus. Like some of you in this room don't know Jesus. And honestly, the, the most important thing, the most important question anybody's ever going to face or have to answer is what do you make of Jesus? Because like we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. And there's only one ticket to the place where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more nothing. And it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. Like this gospel that we have, this gospel message that, we, that has come to us, has come to us to change us and transform us and bear fruit in our lives that it might go to many others to do the same. And tonight, I just want to focus in on what does it look like to be a disciple, somebody who follows Jesus. Like what actually does that look like? And I want to look in Mark chapter 3. We're just going to look for a few verses from verse 13. And it says this, and he went, this is Jesus, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority and cast out demons. I just want to dig into these verses just for a few moments. You Everything I'm going to about to say is all landed here in the text. You can look and follow along with me. And I just want you to kind of consider your life as we do. So for some of us in this room, we know Jesus, right? We, we might not know him as fully as we want to, and we want to grow and learn in that. But I want you to consider your own life. And if you don't know Jesus, consider your own life here. Why am I here? Like, not just literally why am I here in this room right now, but why am I here? What is the purpose what am I living for? What am I being shaped for? And I want you to, as we dig into these verses, just consider your life for a moment. Because here we see what a picture of authentic discipleship looks like. And here's the most important thing to understand. Because lots of us, particularly when we're younger, we live with these kind of dreams. And I'm not, I'm not being critical here. We live with these kind of dreams that we will be part of the generation that changes the world. Like, you live, we live with these kind of things. Like, the, you've taught this from an early age. The world's your oyster. You can be whatever you want to be. You can dream. I'm, and it's, we sit like my generation. Some of you, this shows slightly, it shows my age. I think I just look an awful lot younger than I actually am. Um, we sang songs growing up like, I'm going to be a history maker in this world, which was a really terrible song from, from actually an all right band. But it was the kind of, it was that thing that my generation grew up on thinking, we're going to change the world. We're going to change, and some of you still think we're going to do it. No, you're not. No, we're not. But Jesus can. And Jesus has, and Jesus will. 
And so what it is to actually be recognizing that what we're part of is actually something that has changed the world and will ultimately change all eternity for lots and lots of people, it all rests with this of are we actually a disciple, a follower of Jesus? So let's just dig into these few verses and have a look. The first thing we see here is, look at verse 13. Jesus, he, went, it all starts with him. Let's just get away from this idea that it's about me and, and, and my needs and my self-wants. No, it's not. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It always has and it always will be. For all eternity, the name of Jesus is going to be sung and proclaimed and declared. In two generations, no one's going to remember my name. Like, that's sobering. No, they were, I mean, no, I don't know the names of my grandparents' parents. Like some of you in this room, if you've ever investigated like your family tree, you might know the names of your grandparents' parents. Most of us don't. Like, I remember my, my grand's, well, she was actually her stepmom because my, there was kind of death and remarriage and stuff. Right? I, growing, this, is, this is absolutely true. Growing up, we're having this conversation with some people the other day. Do you, do you know the names of your grandparents' parents? And none of us in the room did. I went, actually, I do remember my grandparents' parents, though. We just called her Old Nana. And they looked at us and said, what, like to her face? I said, yeah. We used to just walk in the room and say, hi, Old Nana, because she just sat in the room. She just sat in a chair and didn't do anything. That was her name, like Old Nana. We literally called her Old Nana, which is a terrible confession to me. But that's what we did. I don't, I still to this day do not know her name. I asked my mum, and mum went, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> How bad's that? In a couple of generations, no one's going to remember who we are. That's not to like say you're not significant. You are hugely significant. You've got loads of worth. But in a couple of generations' time, like we're not going to be talking about me. But we will be talking about Jesus still for all eternity. It begins and it starts with him. And look what this, verse 13. He called to him those whom he desired. Wow. Jesus called you. He came and he chose you. It says in John 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me. But I chose you. Like it was all Jesus. You didn't go, well, I just on, on kind of, I had a little look around and I decided, well, he seems all right. I'll follow him. No, Jesus came and Jesus chose you. Everything we talked about last week, Psalm 40, you were in a miry pit. You were in a bog of destruction because you were dead. Dead people can't do nothing. You were dead in your sins, and he came and chose you. Think about the implications of it. So exciting to know that he chose me. I didn't choose him, because if it was me choosing him, he could quite legitimately turn around to me at various different points when it gets all a little bit bumpy, and I'm like, Jesus, what's going on? And he could easily say, I didn't choose you, buddy. You chose me. Everywhere I go, you keep turning up, and I never asked you to come. What are you whinging for and whining about? I didn't ask you to come. But the truth is, he chose me. He chose me. And the glory of his name demands that because he chose me, he does good things unto me. And he's with me and he doesn't forsake me. Because Jesus never lies. And so the same Jesus who said, I chose you, is the same Jesus who said, I'm making all things do good unto you for those who love me. Wow! Wow. This is Jesus said, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. Jesus never lies. And he says, I didn't choose, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And that changed everything. And as soon as he, so we get there, first point, 
It's all Jesus, all about him. He chose you. Look at the second part of that verse, verse 13. And they came to him. So we have a response now. Jesus calls them, and they could have gone, yeah, you're all right, thanks, and walked that way. No, they came to him. There's a response. Jesus chose you, and Jesus called you, and our response is to come to him. It says in Mark 1, verse 16, right at the beginning of Mark's gospel, when Jesus called the the first disciples and said, come follow me, it says immediately they left their nets, because they were fishermen. They left their nets and followed him. It wasn't a kind of, well, I'm just going to weigh it up a little bit. I'm just going to see if I've got a better plan or anything else going on or a little bit of a better idea. Or maybe, do you know what? I'll give it a trial, like a 30-day trial. and get my money back at the end if it doesn't work. No. They immediately followed him. That's what it is to be a Christian. Jesus says, come, and we go. Jesus says, jump, and we say, how high? Jesus says, do this, and we do it. Jesus says, don't do that. And we don't kind of look for wriggle room and... Like a few extra, oh, he didn't really mean that. Look at that. No, no, no. He, he def, Jesus definitely meant what I think he meant. Um, funnily enough, what I want, no. What Jesus says is what we do. And he says, come follow me. And so we follow. And it's a daily choice. It's a daily choice. And it's a choice that every single one of us has to make on a daily basis, whether we feel like it or not, frankly. Because it's really easy to follow Jesus when everything's going great. And it's a heck of a lot harder when it's not. And we need to choose to follow him and do what he says on a daily basis. A number of years ago, I'm married, and um, quite a few years ago, I've been married about 13 or so years now, and um, about, I think we've been married about four years, and Hannah and I were having a conversation. Now, if, you, if, you've, if you've ever been married, you know, you know what I mean by that. Um, <laughs> I say a conversation, it was a talk. It was like where one of us, not me, was talking quite a bit and uh, just kind of just laying down a few home truths. And it was like one of these, we call them hard conversations in our marriage. Uh, we now know it's coming sometimes because we started with, it's time for a hard conversation. Uh, and we kind of know what's coming. Or I say we, me, knows what's coming. And this was one of these moments. And where it all boiled down to, it was like, you're doing this and you're doing that and I don't like this and I don't like that, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and it kind of boiled, I was like, what are you really getting at? Like, what are you really getting at? And she said, well, truth be told, you don't tell me you love me enough. I said, oh, no, I say it all the time. Like, she's like, an X at the end of a text message is not okay. That doesn't, that doesn't count. Like, really? What if I do two? So like that kind of, that's, no, 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 this don't cut it. And I was like, what? And she said, well, when was the last time you said that you love me? And I looked at her and I said, you know the answer, don't you? <laughs> she said, mm-hmm, Okay. And what I wish I'd done is gone, listen, I'm really sorry. I'm going to say I love you every day. What I actually said was, well, I told you I loved you once, and I'll let you know if anything changes. (laughs) Which didn't go down very well, believe it or not. Because turns out in marriage, that's not okay. And yet how many of us are like that with Jesus? We do it all the time. I said yes to him when he called me, and I put my trust in Jesus, and I'll let him know if anything changes. No, that's not okay. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works in, in relationships. It's definitely not the way it works with Jesus. He says, come, and so I go. And on a daily basis, I have to make a conscious decision to follow him. What's that mean? It means obeying his word. 
Like there's a daily decision, a daily um, picking up my cross and carrying it and following Jesus. Not mocking around. Yeah, but yeah, but I'll let him know. No, no. Jesus chooses. Jesus calls. We respond. And then look at verse 14. And he appointed 12. Appointed. You think, well, okay, he just chose 12. That's all right. No, he appointed 12. It, appointed doesn't really work, actually. The, the language, the word in Greek is much more like the word made. He made 12. It's kind of, even that doesn't really work. It's like, the, it's like really the image of he remade. He kind of transformed. He, he kind of uh, is being recreated 12. So you get this idea and this understanding in Christianity, language like born again. Now, obviously, we're not literally physically born again. That would be very weird. But what we are is spiritually made alive. We're remade. We're born again. And that's the language, the image there. He made them. Now, here's what happens. When you follow Jesus, Jesus chooses you, you follow him. And you say, yes, I'm coming. I'm obeying you. I'm following you, Jesus. And Jesus then transforms you. And he changes you. You are born again. All the old has gone. The new has come. Hallelujah. All your sin is forgiven. All the mess is dealt with. All your past wiped out. You've got a completely new slate, a completely clean identity. And here's what's amazing about following Jesus is it's not just a one-time deal. Like did, yeah, don't hear what I'm not saying. There is a first moment where you first become a Christian and you don't first become a Christian ever again. But you are made anew each and every day. As we come and as we cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus says, come follow me, and we say, today I'm following you, Lord. He makes us new. He recreates us. He breathes new life into us. Jesus has changed us, and Jesus is changing us. And one of the ways he changes us is in community with other people. Like you get your edges knocked off and your friends up close and personal with you say, when you do that, that doesn't look like you're following Jesus. You know when, it says, when Jesus says, do this or don't do that, and you're doing the exact opposite or not doing what he says, there is a disconnect in your life, buddy, and I just want to help you see that. So you are created and transformed into a new being into the context of community. And it tells us here, look at verse 14, he appointed or made, he made, remade 12. I think, well, that was just the number guy, like James, don't get, read too much into it. No, no, no. This is Mark's gospel. When he talks in verse 13 about going up the mountain, like Mark's gospel, you'll see this in a few weeks' time, he doesn't waste any words. He's not the guy who kind of like paints a flowery picture and adds in extra details and there was ducks at the lake and all this kind of stuff. No, he, he just says, bang, this happened. And then immediately that happened. And then Jesus went and did that and that happened. And some demons came and they kicked their butts and this happened and that happened. It's all quite exciting. We'll see it in the next few weeks. But it's just bang, bang, bang. He don't waste words. So in verse 13, he says he goes up a mountain like, oh, where have we heard this before? And then he appointed, he made 12. Where have we heard 12 before? And you start going, your brain starts worrying. And if you've been reading through the Old Testament, you kind of go, I think we've seen this somewhere before, up a mountain, and then there's 12, and there's a people, and there's someone calling. And it's like, 
this might be Exodus. Exodus. And then you flip back through and you think, whoa, whoa, here we go. You start reading Exodus 18 and 19 and 20 where Moses goes up Mount Sinai. He's up a mountain and he calls the people because Jephro's just said to him, hey, choose some people, point them as leaders, appoint those as leaders. And then he goes and meets God and God speaks to Moses and has this, it's just before when the next bit's the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And there's this like kind of constitution, if you like, of the, of the people of God. Israel now becomes a proper people. And if you know much about the Old Testament, you know Israel has 12 tribes. And Jesus has just appointed 12 up a mountain. He's calling them to himself. And you're like, what's this? What's happening here? And you begin to see that you can't understand the Old Testament without the New, that it all finds its yes and amen in Jesus. All the promises of God in the Old Testament, they're all pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is going, look, in exactly this, I'm the Messiah you're waiting for. All these promises, they find them in me. I'm the true King of Israel. And at the same time, the 12, what's he doing is that was with the 12 tribes, the people of God. Now with these 12, these lay the foundation, these 12 apostles, these 12 disciples lay the foundation for what we are now, the people of God, the church. It's like, whoa, this big thing, it all fits together. Now I'm reading this and reading that and beginning to understand Ah, what's God saying here? What's Jesus saying here? I've chosen you. I'm calling you. You come to me and I'm adding you into a family, the church, the people of God. And I'm recreating you and changing you every single day. And then we see that it's not just about a nice blessing. Everything we looked at last week, we're blessed to be a blessing. Look at verse 14. This is what it is. This is what we've been saved for in order that he might send them out, send us out to preach And verse 15, have authority to cast out demons. Oh, so we've been called. We've been changed and transformed. We are being changed more and more. We've obeyed him. We've followed him. We've been added into a people, the church. We've been blessed in order to be a blessing by preaching the gospel and by healing the sick. Seeing the power of God at work. Wow. This is what it is. This is what authentic discipleship looks like. Jesus calls us. We respond. He changes us. He adds us into a family and then he sends us out that we might go teaching and healing the world. Back to John 15 verse 16 again. I did not choose you. Sorry, I did, you did not choose me. I'm just very awkward. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might bear fruit. You might grow and see others grow. And in Mark 3, verse 14, this is what I just want to focus in on these last few minutes. We get the key phrase. Right at the heart of Jesus' intention in calling his disciples is that they might be with him. Might be with him. Wow. Like that's what Jesus has called us for and appointed us for, that we might be with him. Back to changing the world for a moment. So we all dream of it. We're like, wow, it'd be amazing. I'd like preach this and say that and all my friends would get saved and all my workplace and all my I'd be like, yeah. None of that is going to happen unless you've spent lots of time with Jesus. No one can be sent into the world to heal the world who hasn't yet, first of all, been brought, drawn out of the world to Jesus in solitude. To be much for God, we must be much with God. They're not my words. They're words of an old-time preacher dude called Leonard Ravenhill. He's dead now. The kind of guy who used to stand and shout. 
Like literally would shout at the congregation. Like the kind of guy who used to say things like, the only vision some of you have is television. <laughs> and then why are you laughing? You're destined to hell. <laughs> kind of stuff you're not allowed to say these days. And he was like, don't care. I'm just going to say it. And in a message, I was reading it the other day, in a message where he was talking about wanting to do much and dreaming about doing much for God, he's like, forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Unless you carve out the time to spend with the Lord. To be much for God, we must be much with God. In other words, we can't hope to make a difference for God if we're not in an intimate communion with God. Now, here's the thing. If that's you, if you're dreaming of making big, doing big things for God, and you've got to spend big time with God. And if you're like, well, actually, I'm not. So I'm free pass for me. No, no, no. Just think for a moment. This is what Jesus has saved you for and called you for and brought you into being in a relationship with him that he might be with you and you might be with him. <laughs> Just think about that for a moment. Just think about what that means. There is no greater honor in the world than being part of God's church. There is no great, some of you are sitting there, no greater honor, really? Well, you've been smoking, like, really? <laughs> there is no greater honor in the world than being part of God's church. Now, how can I say that? Well, just think about it for a moment. Just think about that. When was the last time you really set your mind on what it is to be part of the body of Christ? <laughs> you're part of the body of Christ. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are part of the body of Christ. Let me say, yeah, 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 it's theologically correct. Well done. Body of no! You're part of the body of Christ. Like, you might sit there and go, well, I'm not, just not, I'm not a particularly important part of the body of Christ. I'm just like a little toe or whatever. But so what? <laughs> You're part of the body of Christ. You're... I'm just going to hang around this for a moment because I'm not convinced <laughs> that this. That this... You're part of the body of Christ. Like Paul in Ephesians 5 says, this is a mystery. Yeah, you're right, it's a mystery. Because this God, who it tells us in, it tells us in 1 Timothy 6.16, he dwells in unapproachable light, you're part of his body. This God, who it tells us in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2 verse 8, that by his breath he kills his enemies, you're part of his body. I'm <laughs> not joking, it's a mystery. He dwells in un well, unapproachable light and he kills people with the breath of his mouth. He's so holy... And so radiantly perfect and so powerful, and yet I'm part of his body. Glad <laughs> that, that, that messes with my head a little bit when you stop and think about it. Like the sun, I'm no scientist, you all know this, right? It's about 93 miles, no, 93 million miles away. I don't, if that's not correct, I don't care. It's a long way away. And we can't even look at the sun without it damaging our eyes. I, like, I don't know how close you have to get before you burn and like disintegrate and die. I don't ever want to test it. But you can't get close to the sun. The God who created the sun, who dwells in unapproachable light, is the same God whose body you're part of. <laughs> wow! 
And that God says, I've chosen you and I've called you and I've made you so that you might be with me. What an invitation. (laughs) I'm a little bit busy this week. I can't do it. What? And we laugh, but that's true, right? Like we could pray this week. What an invitation to come with the people of God in the presence of God. Uh, well, I'm a bit busy. I've got this on. You know, so I, don't, I don't know anyone and no one will miss me. And Like, my little toe doesn't operate like that. Like, we're going into a meeting. It would mainly be the mouth doing the work, isn't it? it? I mean, it's good at that. It's like always going on, on, on. I just sit here. I don't do anything. Maybe this week I'll just stay at home. Like, the meetings that I've got, the mouth just goes to. Okay, the brain sometimes is involved in James's meetings, but often it's the mouth. Right, and sometimes the hands, because he gets animated, and they've got a job, they're like, Bruh! start doing stuff like that, and that kind of thing. But I'm the little toe, and I've got no job. I don't need anything. In fact, all of my toes are having a little protest this week, and they ain't coming. That's just ridiculous. It doesn't happen. We're part of the body of Christ, and we go, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I'll really be missed. I'm not sure I really got a part. I'm not sure I really. No, you have, and you will, and you are. If we announce that there was a special guest this week of the week of prayer, I'm kind of announcing it now. He didn't mention it in the notices because they got it wrong. Another one. But we have a special guest Tuesday night. He's coming on Wednesday as well. I'm trying to hope to convince him to stay here Thursday and all. Like you're going to be able to ask him any question you want. He's going to stick around at the beginning. He's going to sign you copies of the Bible if you really want it. He's going to like stick around at the end and just answer all your, and you can his name's Jesus by the way he's actually going to be there like in the flesh like if I was actually doing that every single one of us is there every single one of us what well, actual Jesus I can actually go and talk to him I can actually hear his answers I can actually I got some serious questions and I got some stuff I need him to do for me I'm actually going to be there little toe we're coming let's go like every single one of us guess who's going to be here on Tuesday night and on Wednesday night and on Thursday. Guess who's going to be wherever you are tomorrow morning, whatever you're doing when you wake up? The one who dwells in unapproachable light of whom you are part of his body wants to be with you. <laughs> he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. There's a story in Luke 10. We're just going to finish with this. Really famous story, like, you've probably heard it lots of times before. It's about two sisters, right? One of them's called Mary, and one of them's called Martha. And Jesus is coming to town. He's not just coming to town, he's coming to their house for lunch. Verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who was sad at the Lord's feet and listened to his, this, his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to flipping help me. I mean, she might not have said the flipping bit, but that's what she's thinking. Jesus has come to our house. And I'm, bu- I mean, you can hear the scenes, right? This is Martha. You can hear the potting the like the pans and stuff being put together you can hear like the the slightly stroppy mary can you just come here and help me with this 
Oh, hi, Jesus. You want a biscuit? <laughs> hi. All that kind of stuff. You can just see it, picture it, right? Jesus is coming to your house. I mean, like, if I decided tonight I'm going to come to your house, right, straight after this, like, probably most of us would go, hey, can you just give me five? And run home. And that's just me, all right? Like, Jesus is coming. Quick. Put everything away. Make everything look respectable. And let's just get, get over here, Mary. Like, you can, Martha gets a bad press, right? Because she, she shouldn't be doing that. She's doing what you and I would do. Like, we would run around. And it ain't, it's not like she's outside playing hopscotch. She is actually doing something, like, useful. She's cooking and cleaning up and getting everything ready and just so. She's doing lots of good things. And Jesus says this, verse 41. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Wow. Like, I am Martha. Like, doing stuff. Because it's good stuff. And he's doing. But Jesus says, one thing is necessary. A promising career is not necessary. The approval of peers is not necessary. A large retirement fund is not necessary. The huge amount of cash in the bank to set you up for life is not necessary. Even the acceptance of family members and dear friends close to you is not necessary. But one thing, and one thing only, is essential. Verse 39, to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. One thing's necessary. It's not saying all those other things are bad. It's just saying there's one thing that's necessary, to be with Jesus. He created, he appointed, he made us that we might be with him. Wow. There are loads of good things I can give my attention to. I could show you my diary and probably most of you in this room would think most of it is, ah, that's good stuff, yeah, meeting with that person, seeing that person, that's good. It's good use of time, setting up this and sorting out the, yep, good, well done. I'm glad to see that this, this pastor dude isn't wasting his time with stupid stuff. There's one thing necessary to be with Jesus. Wow. One thing. Be with Jesus. So how do we do it? Because well, let's be honest, it's tough, right? Like, it's difficult. Like, I had three months on sabbatical. Don't come to meetings. Don't do any work. Don't go check your email. Don't do anything like that. Just be with Jesus. And I found it difficult. I found it difficult. I'm not going to lie. I found it difficult. Why? Because, well, distraction is probably the primary spiritual issue of our age. Like, we get distracted all the time. Like, if we had, a, like, an honesty check moment for a moment, I'm not going to do it because it would crush my soul. But so many of you at some point in this meeting tonight, has your brain has gone somewhere else for at least a little while. Now, I readily accept that, yeah, insert your favorite public speaker, probably a comedian. I am not. 
but we all get distracted. So how do we break through on that? Because Jesus never lies, and he hasn't invited us to do something which is not possible. And he's not like dangling a big carrot in front of us and going, look at that, no, and then whipping it away from us. No, he actually wants us to be with him. And in being with him, we get life transformed. Well, here are just a few little lessons I've learned. Well, no, that's not true. I'm learning as we've gone. The first is this. There's no formula. Right? It looked different for different people. There are a few components. You need to read the word of God. You need to pray. You need to sing some praises. You need to spend some time with other people. You need to listen to his voice. All right? But there's no formula, but it, there are some components. There's no formula, but it starts with desire. You've got to actually want to. You've got to actually want to spend time with Jesus. You've actually got to speak to your soul and say, hey, this is good for me. He's called me and appointed me that I might be with him. The only way I'm going to get past the burdens and the troubles and whatever else of this world is by being with Jesus. It's got to be a desire. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's got to be a desire to come and spend time with Jesus. Second thing, you've got to remind yourself and remember, remind your soul that Jesus actually really does want to spend time with you. He actually likes you. Like, not just like, I, lo- I have to lo- say I love them because I don't lie and it's theologically true, but hmm, I just broad love for my people. No, he actually likes you. He actually wants to spend time with you. With you, yes, you. And someone's going, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I even want to spend time with me. I know, it's always a miracle, but Jesus does. And he says in Revelation 3, verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And we so often say, hey, that's a verse for non-Christians, for for non-believers, saying Jesus is going to stand there. The door, He's not going to kick the door of your heart down. You have to open the door to him. Well, I get it, but that's not really what this verse is written to. It's written to Christians, saying Jesus wants to come and eat with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants you to be with him. Gotta remind ourselves of that. My position is in Christ. God the Father looks on God the Son with nothing but joy and affection and delight. And my life is hidden in Christ, which means when he looks on me, he has nothing but joy, delight, and affection. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. He wants to spend time with you. Third thing we need to remember is that we don't meet Jesus in routine, but routine will help. Like, it's good to get into a habit, a rhythm of a routine. I did while I was away on sabbatical. It mainly spent lots of time. The kids had gone off to school. Ham was out doing something. I spent, had loads of time to hang out with Jesus. It was brilliant. Absolutely loved it. It was like hours and hours and hours of time. Just sometimes just sitting often out in countryside, walking somewhere, singing. Mm, wonderful. Like, that's what you need to do. It's amazing. It doesn't work in real life, though, does it? Like, I'm back in real life now. I'm like, where's my free time gone? I don't have all this time. Because that's where most of us live, right? In real life. And it doesn't happen. So the routine has changed. Now it involves coffee. (laughs) Because I can't just stay in bed and wait till everyone's gone out. And then me and Jesus time. No, I need to get up earlier than everyone else. Because there isn't other time otherwise. Which means I need my noise-canceling headphones. Because I just need to be not distracted. And I do get distracted hugely distracted. I have this weird thing where I kind of feel like I need to, to kind of check the news like the first thing in the morning. You know, you hear some people say it's thrown before phone and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I just can't do that. My brain like freaks out because I kind of sit there the whole time being distracted, worrying if there's been a nuclear apocalypse or something and I might be the only person left and really should I be doing this right now? 
That's like where my brain goes. It's so distracted and so weird. So I have now got a routine where I'm actually all right. Okay, I know myself. I know what I need. So here, I need coffee. It takes at least five minutes to make coffee or to get downstairs and make coffee for me. So I've got five minutes to just make sure that I'm not the last person alive. Like check like the BBC. Okay, I can read that later. That's fine. Now I'm nowhere near as distracted. You might say, well, you're weird. Yes, I am. So are you. You've got your own quirks. <laughs> My point is this, whatever it takes to get to be with Jesus. Get to be with Jesus. For me, just being practical on the distractions, I've got a little notepad now. Every time I get distracted, I just write down. And then I can leave it. It's fine. Deal with it later. Sometimes I can't. I've learned, don't beat yourself up when you get distracted. Just go with the flow. Go with all your distractions. And sometimes they take you in all sorts of weird places. That's okay. Just pray about it and then come back again. I spent my whole devotional time this morning thinking about my distractions. Well, deal with them and then get back to it. I won't have time till tomorrow. That's okay. Jesus will still be here. He's with you all day. You can talk to him on the go and just go, can you just help me with those things? Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Routine, whatever it is for you, because it'll look very different. For me right now, I used to, in my sabbatical, I love singing and and outside, it was fine. I could sing or sing when everyone was out. I'm up early before the kids. If I, my kids wake up too early, that is a nightmare for me and my neighbors and everyone. So I can't sing now because they all wake up. So I'm having to learn how to rejoice in the quiet. It's a bit weird, but I'm getting there. You've got to do whatever it takes because Jesus, Adrian, you can come back. Jesus has invited you. Because he wants to be with you. Wow. So do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Like the woman who had the problem with blood for years and years and years. Massive crowd. She had to be with Jesus. She had to touch him. She had to get there. So she fought her way through the crowd. She did whatever it takes. You can imagine in the crowd. What are you doing? I don't care what you think. I'm doing whatever it takes. Part of whatever it takes for me is going to bed a bit earlier. Because I'm like one of those big soft people who can't cope with lack of sleep. It's just like I start crying and stuff. Like, <laughs> I can't do it. That's not even an exaggeration. I just can't cope with like less than eight hours sleep a night, which is something all these like, you only need four hours. Well, good for you. I wish I was you. I can't do it. So I've got to get up earlier than everybody else, which means I've got to go to bed earlier than everybody else in my house. And when you're going to bed before you're seven-year-old, it's a bit embarrassing. But it's just kind of <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. But I have to. Some stuff, just had to cut some stuff out because this is way more important because one thing's necessary. And at the end of time, I'm not going to stand there and go, dang it, I really wish I'd completed Netflix. I know I joked about that before I went on my sabbatical. I discovered something far more life-giving. Time with Jesus. Can we stand? Because we've got to remind ourselves the promise Jesus makes in Matthew 11, verse 28 and 30, where he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. That's not, it's, got, it's not got an asterisk next to it. It says, come to me when you're on holiday, or when you're on sabbatical, or when you have a day off, or when there's 24 hours with no one giving you any grief. It's come to me, all who labor, all who have a normal job. All who have busy lives, all who have hectic everything, and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You have to choose to do that. It's a choice. And learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus never lies. 
Jesus, would you teach my heart that you really do want me to come be with you? Will you teach my heart that one thing is necessary? Will you teach my heart and my soul that they find all their rest in you and in you alone? Find all their joy in you and you alone. Teach my heart, Lord, that as I meditate on anything that is not of you, it begins to burden me. As I think on stuff that's not yours, not from you, it burdens me. But as I think on you, as I delight my soul in you, as I pursue you, my burdens are lifted. Peace comes, joy comes, hope comes, freedom comes. Jesus, teach my heart to be satisfied in you. This week, folks, is an invitation. It's a daily invitation.